0: In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Dulce Johnson, creator and owner of The Honest Messy Life, as we talk about fear and the damaging role it can oftentimes play in many unhealthy spiritual communities. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter five of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and today I'm joined by a, a special guest, Dulce, from the Honest Messy Life Social media page, uh, group, community, how would you define it?
1: Um, I would definitely call it a community.
0: Okay. It definitely seems that way with the amount of interaction and conversation happening with people that, that follow you and stuff. So Dulce Johnson is joining me on the podcast today, and we actually came to know each other through Instagram, I think, right? We we, we yeah. I started posting some stuff about my book and that kind of realm of things, and, and I found your account, and you were posting a lot of the same helpful stuff for people going through dealing with unhealthy spiritual environments to put it generally and i loved what you were doing i love the messages you were giving to people and i wanted to have you on so thank you for being here
1: yeah no thanks for the opportunity to um to share a bit of my story and to um, continue to inspire others as they continue to heal as well
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's start off with the question I ask everyone on here to get a good sense of who you are. Tell us your story. uh, Give us an overview of your background, yourself, particularly with your affiliation with church and faith. Give us the whole rundown.
1: All right. So my name is Dulce. I'm 28 years old. I had no Christian background before being saved. Um, We didn't really go to church growing up. We were like kind of Catholic, but like not really. So like we only went for like, baptisms and like special events like that, but I really had no understanding of who God was, what Jesus did. And by the time I was 17, I was already going through like a really hard time making really poor choices. You know, I had like my little brother who was in and out of the hospital. So there was just a lot going on. Like my dad had left our home when I was 10. Um, And so I was just kind of finding trouble in like different areas. And I had a friend who she would always invite me to her youth group. And I'd be like, no, <laughs> like, that's not my kind of scene. Like, thank you, though. You're really kind. And uh, she would ask me over and over for like, I think it was like two, three years. She would ask me. And the persistence, like very persistent. And I would like attend sometimes like the little youth group. I didn't really enjoy it. But I think when I hit like my rock bottom as a 17 year old, that's when I was like, okay, like she has this sort of joy that I want. And, Mm. and I knew like she struggled and like had her own issues at home and I okay, but she still has this joy that I don't have. And so I finally started going to the church that she went to. And from there, I just assumed that everything that I was experiencing there was normal and like that other churches did. And of course I, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I went like all in, in this church from the 17 to twenty six. And um, I became a life group leader. I was like the lead for the greeters for a long time. Um, I served in just wherever they needed me. Like, I would try to make myself available and my husband as well. We met there at the church. And so, you know, we started having our kids and um, he was the leader. I was the leader. We were just really involved. And it wasn't until my husband began to kind of question some of the teachings where he was like, wait, that doesn't sound right. and. I was just like, you're crazy. I was like, no, no, no. What you're saying doesn't make sense because it doesn't line up with what our pastors are saying. And we didn't really, like we read our Bibles often, but what I've learned now is that we weren't reading them like in context. It was a lot of cherry picking And so uh, my husband was trying to get me out for eight months and I was so resistant. I was like, no, like I'm not leaving. This is my home. These are like, this is where my family is. I consider people there, my family. Um, Many of them had seen me from the time I started going out at 17 and it was just really hard to think of my life outside of that church. And then finally like my marriage was like, On the brink of divorce, like I did, like I was okay leaving him because he was not being submissive to our leadership. And I was like, okay, like I do want to save my marriage. So I'll go ahead and leave. But, um, it took, again, eight months to finally get to that point. And even then I was still really confused. Like I was like, okay, I'm just leaving to save my marriage. I didn't really understand yet the red flags or the bad theology that my husband had been talking about. Cause I still kind of yeah. thought he was crazy. And so, but I was like, okay, like I'm going to trust you God. And And so we left and it really took about a month after to really recognize those red flags. And now everything kind of began to make more sense, I guess, the more distance that I had. And I was like, wait, 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 that's not normal. And then I, you know, I listened to a YouTube video um, where the lady was interviewing the authors that wrote The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And they began to kind of like name the red flags. And I was like, wait, those are red flags. And it just, everything at so that These point,
0: are lining up in a way I don't like.
1: Exactly. But it really put words to my experience that I didn't have before because yeah. I was still trying to leave on good terms. And I was just kind of like shocked, like, oh my gosh, like none of that was healthy. Like. It was just almost like a like a mask was had been covering that. And I finally got to see the ugly truth after the fact. And so that was kind of like my few minute spiel of my story from being saved at 17, going all in into finally leaving and knowing or not knowing what the heck just happened.
0: The first thing that that stuck out to me in that is I, th- I find it interesting that usually, I mean, from my experience, for a lot of my friends, for a lot of people that I've heard their stories coming to me from reading my book or whatever, many people's experiences, most of them is, by the time they actually decide to leave, they're at a place where they're so convinced that it's bad because it takes a lot to push you out. Once you're so secure in it, it's all your friends, it's your community, it's your ideologies, it's your practices, it's your comfort. So so usually, it, it feels that, when people finally get to a place where they're going to say, okay, I'm leaving They're, They have done the research. They have realized and have been convicted by the fact that, okay, this is bad where it's for you. It's interesting because, so your husband what w- was, was in leadership mm-hmm. and so were you. So it's just interesting that you left kind of being led by his intuition almost. And you weren't convinced by it, which is really interesting, but I, I, I mean, I'm glad he did. It's one of those things where I'm sure you're very glad. Oh,
1: yes. I'm like, yeah. I'm so glad that he... Even though it was really hard during those eight months, I'm so glad sure. that he was persistent. And and he always left the choice up to me. He wasn't like, you need to leave or um, yeah. you need to follow me. Um, he left it in, in my court to make my own choice, which made it hard because at this point, I mean, in this church, I didn't know how to make my own choices. I was so dependent on the leadership and on what they thought. And so, of course, they don't want me to leave. And yeah. so there's this constant friction of, oh, he, he must be jealous of you. Um, he's not submitting to the pastors. He's being rebellious. Um, Cause at the time I had a larger um, life group that I was hosting. I had about like 14 women. And um, by the time my husband was done being a leader, he had like a really small group, like maybe just a few from what I remember. And so there was like those types of conversations with the pastors where they were assuming that he was just jealous of me because of mm-hmm. my fruit, quote unquote fruit, and and just really ignoring like the, the theology and just saying that he was just going through a phase, he'll get over it, just hang on, but never really guiding me biblically to like try to follow him and trust him. And it's like they were okay with dividing my family. Um, because yeah. they never like they would kind of put me against him in a way. So then I just kept thinking he was crazy because he wasn't following the pastor. And in one conversation, I was told that if he wasn't following our pastors, I didn't need to follow him. So Hmm. I was like, okay, I won't because he's crazy. And that's just what I thought. I was like, man, like he's just, he's just going through something. We're going to get through this. Um, And I'm just so grateful that he held on as, as hard as it was watching me, dive even deeper into those church yeah. at that time because then they started giving me like more like praise and kind of like the love bombing they began the to the validation
0: like... of your choice was the right one kind of
1: yes yeah and they'd be like yeah. look how fruitful you are they let me teach a class at what's called an encounter so it's like a three day retreat which is like a big deal and um and so they let me like teach one of the lessons there which is like oh my god you know so for me I was like wow it's like okay God's opening up these doors for me so I must This must be the right decision. And so it's just, if there's any word that could describe the season, it's just confusion. I was so confused. And and of course, I was terrified of making the wrong decision because I didn't know any better. Like I was completely terrified of going outside of God's covering um, because they really were into the like heavy shepherding. You don't go against your pastors. You don't go against your leaders, anything like that. Otherwise, you'll be cursed and you have to (laughs) give your money. And so- Of course, I'm just like, my life is just being led by fear at this point. Um, I mean, and it had been, but even more so at that, during that crucial time.
0: Okay. So, so at the point that you left, you were doing it mainly to, to save your marriage. Did it feel in a way like a compromise where you were doing this and you were leaving, but you felt like almost you were compromising some security and what you thought was true?
1: Yeah, I thought I was, I definitely thought it was a compromise leaving. So it was really hard. To everyone that I knew was there, I had a, a big group. That I again, they didn't know about anything that was going on because we weren't allowed to share our problems as leaders to the people in our groups.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it was only like a if you're a leader or a leader above you, like that's who you can share your problems with. But anyone below you, you weren't supposed to share this type of information. So I would go in every Tuesday or every Monday pretending like everything was just dandy, and even though my life is yeah. falling apart
0: and a lot's going on. <laughs>
1: a lot was going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I def- it did feel like a, like a compromise. It was really hard though. And again, I was just so confused. Like, oh my gosh, did I really just make this decision? Like I spent the last nine years completely devoted to this place. What's next? And it's been a tough, <laughs> a tough healing journey, but I'm always grateful to God that he, that he led me out of there, even though I had no idea what to expect
0: absolutely it's it's the question of of the unknown of what comes next but at least i'm further along than i was then at least i'm moving towards this direction right so okay so before we get into some discussion about what you were talking about fear that's the main topic of today i wanted to ask you about your your social media page cuz that's a pretty cool thing it, it's pretty much it's it, it's it's entirely dedicated to inciting discussion and conversation about unhealthy environments rigid ideologies and practices and helping people kind of discern the the things in their own lives that that may be red flags in their own churches and stuff at what point okay so so you you left your church you came around and started seeing the stuff that wasn't great to put it lightly lead us through the process of, of when you decided to do this page and and tell us about the page itself
1: So I wish the story was like a lot more like pretty getting to creating the Honest Messy Life, Um, but I guess that's kind of the point of me creating it is that it was a really messy time in my life. Um, After I had seen that YouTube video and everything kind of began to make sense and all the dots were being connected of like, oh my gosh, that was a red flag. That was a red flag that I ignored. I was like, oh my gosh, we have to say something like we have to do something because previously like over the years we would have leaders leave but we never really knew why and we just assumed they were backsliding we just assumed that
0: yeah
1: they didn't catch the vision and so you just you don't really talk to them like you like you see them say hi but like deep down you kind of look at them like oh like kind of less than which like it makes me so sad that I treated people like that but that was that was the way that it was and so I was like no people need to know my story and why I left because I mean people saw our faces every Sunday whether it was greeting or on stage like doing tithe and offering messages Um, like people knew us and my husband was part of like the inner circle like the pastor had his own like 12 disciples and my husband was part of that group and so like yeah people knew him and I wanted people to know like why we left. And I wanted some accountability towards like the way that things were manipulated and the scriptures were used um, to really wreck my marriage the way that it had been. And so we, me and my husband wrote letters to the church's board, which consisted of just three people They don't have an elder board or anything like that. The board consisted of like um, his pastor, one of his best friends who's a pastor and like some mentor who's also a pastor. Um, and they're all like not even in town or anything like that. So we wrote them our letters they asked for a few more letters. And so we got a few more people to write letters and and a six week investigation started by a third party, which they didn't tell us at all who it was during that time. The investigator at the time, never like during those six weeks, never talked to us, um, Mm -hmm. has never talked to us actually. Um, apparently our letters were sufficient and from what I understand, like our ex pastor was just giving given like um counseling sessions. So after the six weeks, they concluded that it was all a miscommunication and a difference in leadership style. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. yeah. And so we're like, okay, but during the during those six weeks, I will say that I got a little bit impatient. And on my personal Facebook, I was just I was reading the book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, um, during that time, and I would see like quotes from the book, and I would just share it to my Facebook. I would never name the church, but I would just share quotes from the book, things that resonated yeah. with me. And that began to like kind of ruffle some feathers and sure. because I still had a lot of the people from the church on my Facebook. No one had unfriended me yet. And so I would start kind of posting those things. And from there, like there's just a lot of drama. People didn't like that. I got cussed at, like different things like that. There's a lot of, a lot of conflict over my Facebook post. And so- sure. After the investigation happened, I decided that I wanted to have like my own space to kind of post quotes from the book or create reels and things like that. Just for me to vent, like so that I wasn't bothering my friends and my family anymore with this stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to create my own page because I had a business page at the time. I used to create planners. I'm like, I shouldn't talk about my depression on there. (laughs) So I'm just going to create a separate page so I can just... Kind of be myself and just share what's really happening in my life, and just mm-hmm. not really thinking anything of it. I didn't really have a a goal, and so I created videos, and then it just kind of like started growing, and people started saying like wow like thank you so much for sharing your experience I can relate so much for wow, like I thought I was the only one I, I feel so much less crazy and it has just it's grown to be such a beautiful um, space for me and hopefully for those in the community as well um, knowing that they're not alone knowing that yeah. the healing journey is messy of course you get some people who are just kind of like oh just forgive and and move on and, and like you're you're just focusing on people when not on God. And if you really cared about the church, you wouldn't be slandering the church and those things like that. I mean, they make me angry. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like you guys don't understand that me sharing my story and my experience is because I love the church. Because yeah. I want the church to be healthy. I love the church so much that I'm willing to share my story to share to, for other people to know that they're not alone. And I want people to recognize these red flags so that they don't end up in the same place. And yeah, it's it's been it's been an awesome journey. Whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, it's just it's been fun. Um, I don't yeah. always have like the creativity. I'm not like super rigid about like when I'm posting, um, but when yeah. I get an idea, I'm like, oh, okay, let's talk about it.
0: I love what you said. I mean, something that I've been saying since my book came out is the fact that one of the most validating things someone going through that kind of experience can hear is the two things are you're not crazy and you're not alone. Those two things are, are the world for these people. Um, it was for me. It was, I'm sure, for you. And yes. that the, I love that that's kind of the main the main message in a lot of the stuff you say. Okay, let's get let's get to the through line of this episode, which is based on chapter five of my book, and it is all about fear. It's introducing the idea of fear and the role it plays in spiritual environments, in the individual, and then in spiritual environments, especially if left unchecked, and kind of the consequences that unbridled fear left by its own devices and what it can do. So you brought up the idea of fear a little bit, and you you kind of went that direction, but I wanna ask you a more pointedly directed question here. Specifically for the role of fear, what examples, or do you have examples of specific instances or experiences that fear undoubtedly had a role in affecting in terms of the specific ideas of your church or the practices or the way they dealt with you when you wanted to leave? I don't know. What can you say about that?
1: Yeah, I. So fear was definitely like. I feel like you could see it in every aspect throughout the church there that I attended. Um, whether intentional or not, um, it's it was there. You may not see it when you're in there, but being out of there now, it's a lot more visible. How fear um, really directed a lot of my choices while I was there, um, especially as a 17 year old who was extremely vulnerable. It's just it's so crazy, and it breaks my heart for my 17 year old self because yeah. so much. Was dictated by the fear that was placed. So, like I, I mentioned earlier, like they were very part of like the heavy shepherding type of movement where um you had to be like under your pastor's covering. If you weren't, then you were cursed. If you didn't like give your money your ten percent, you were cursed. And how dare you steal from God? Yeah. And so when I was seventeen, like when I first started going to the church, I was already planning on going to college out of the state. I was like, okay, I'm gonna like leave our town, explore the world, and That was my dream. Okay. So then I started going to the church and then I was like, okay, well, maybe I can go a little bit closer. So maybe I'll go to a university a few hours away. It's not that bad. Well, then I, as I start getting more involved, as I go through the encounter, uh, which is a three-day retreat. And then as I start going through the, um, the classes that they provide afterwards that they strongly suggest you take at that point, I was like, no, like, I was so terrified of leaving the town and leaving the church because I was so scared of going back to my old life. I was so scared of becoming who I had been. Um, And just like for some context, like, I mean, I was like a depressed 17 year old. I didn't have my dad around. Uh, My mom was in and out of the hospital with my brother. Again, I was like one of those girls that was looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, I was very promiscuous at that age. And I just was like really hurting. And I was so scared of going back into that lifestyle. And I was like, no, like, what if I'm not strong enough? What if I, like? because they would kind of say things um, about people that went off to college and how like a certain percentage of people that leave to college, like will leave the faith. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, I can't be that person. And so I decided to attend our local college here in town. Um, and I feel like like, that's one huge way that it affected me right away was the fear of falling back and being and becoming so dependent on the church at that point. And so then I started taking more classes and more classes because I, I felt like I needed to finish these classes. I needed to finish them in order to be like this mature believer, um, which by the way, we ended up taking like four more classes throughout those nine years. So it's like, it was never enough. It was never enough. You always had to retake a class or they would incorporate something new. So then you had to know that content for the people that you were leading. And then like the encounters, they describe it as meeting God face-to-face during those three days. Um, And so and the encounters are part of like the G12 movement, if you're familiar with G12. So it's kind of like- The pyramid scheme of like churches. So um, Cesar Castianos he had this vision from God that like to build a church, um, you'd, he would need 12 disciples. And then those 12 disciples would need 12 disciples and so on and so forth. So it would multiply. Um, and then basically like your leader has like full authority over you. So again, kind of yeah. going back to heavy shepherding. So the encounter, again, was one of those like meet God face to face. And if you didn't go to one, like you were definitely looked at different because you hadn't had the chance to renounce and rebuke these spirits. And you didn't really understand what Jesus did for you. Um, But it was really just an emotional and exhausting weekend with Bad theology all around, like hindsight. And even even there, like during the renouncing moments where they would have you like renounce like 14 spirits. Um, oh if gosh. you yeah, it's very intense. Um, like they literally have they'll have garbage cans in the middle of wherever they're doing the renouncing just in case people throw up. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, that's terrifying. There's teenagers at these things, and so yeah. it's like like mind you seeing this it's like oh my gosh and if you don't say the script right of you know i renounce this spirit and replace it with this spirit um if you don't say it right if you don't do it passionate enough or loud enough or if you mess up saying the script you would have to do it again
0: yeah cuz it won't work
1: <laughs> yeah it won't work and yeah. then and then after the encounter then you're just terrified of these demons coming back into your life so then there's just again it, it's like everything just has some factor of fear throughout the process that i was there and so of course yeah. i'm terrified to go off to college because i don't want all these demons in my life and so yeah <laughs> there's <just laughs> so much fear yeah. and then there's the fear of leaving you know like you know what if i'm wrong like what if my husband's not right what's gonna happen because we were part of a like the church was a prosperity gospel type of church so you know, we believe that God, you know, that Jesus died so that we could have this amazing life.
0: Like, what am I, what am I stepping out of that I might not want to step out of? Yeah. What am I leaving behind here that I, that I will have wished that I had stuck on to?
1: Yeah. And so it was just, yeah, there was fear in and out of that of during my experience there.
0: I'm 24 and the majority of my book, I mean, the, I said the climax of my book is my time in college because. I mean, there's a plethora of different things that college provides to, in mean, that space in your life, at least, especially for someone who grew up in church and stuff like that. But it was a common thing for a lot of people that I talked to who kind of went through experiences like that phase in their life, where it's this phase where you're brought up constantly, kind of indirectly being sewn into you, the idea that you're not quite strong enough on your own on your own devices and then college comes and the people who for the people who leave and go to a university or something no matter how far just apart from their church they're now for the first time in their lives presumably on their own mostly right but yet they weren't taught oh you're gonna be fine usually it's oh you better get locked into a church there or a campus ministry or come back on sundays or else we don't know how you're going to do. And they're like, oh, how am I going to do? I don't know. Because I've just been taught I can't handle it. So I relate a lot to that. And it's kind of, as you were talking, I was thinking of this this visual. I don't know why it came to mind. I was thinking of, because you were talking about how for, for the place you were in your life at 17, the church was kind of a safe haven with, with stability, with with mm-hmm. some, some highly sought after attributes that you were searching for. And that's how a church should be, I think. But the visual I thought of was... It's kinda like you're out in the ocean in deep waters, kinda trying to tread water by yourself, like no land in sight, trying to find something to grab onto. And a boat comes along and throw out a life uh, uh a lifesaver for it. What is it called? The it's lifesaver, the big things. I know what you're talking
1: about. I don't know what it's
0: called. It's not a lifesaver. Life saver is a candy, but it, it, it's like okay. They throw out the, the tubes, whatever they're called, and you put it on, and they're like, Great, pull me in. And they don't. They you have the life. Tube now, so you're not gonna drown. But they're not pulling you in all the way, so you're safe. But they're also like, okay, our lifesaver is on you now. You're being kept afloat by hours, but don't take it off. Because if you do, you're gonna drown still. And it's that right. middle ground of of you're not pulled in all the way where you're completely secure in your safety or in your salvation or in your grace or in yourself or whatever. But you're good enough where you're convinced that the only thing keeping you afloat is the church's support in a way or the leader's support or their influence in your life or whatever
1: yeah no i was i was so dependent on the church in every way as far as like trying to make my own decisions was not was not possible for me um since leaving you know i would then turn to my husband and ask him questions on making a choice and he'd be like don't say you're a big girl you can make this choice on your own yeah, trust yeah. yourself
0: just what do yeah. you want to do it's like wow what do, do i need to ask advice do i need to ask for of uh, like some kind of vetting process no oh that's, it, it's a thing you have to get used to
1: yeah it is And it's like, I think there's just so much fear, too, in thinking that if I made the wrong choice, then God would be mad or that I would ruin my life um, as if God's not like powerful enough. And um, it was like really all on my shoulders. And so, yeah, making choices is something that I've had to like learn how to do. And it's been it's been an interesting, interesting journey as far as that goes.
0: Both healthy and unhealthy churches i think kind of have this but obviously the unhealthy ones the foundation is faulty where where being involved in a church kind of gives you a direction a path a prescribed follow these steps on this marked path and you'll be okay and that can be in a healthy church is just here's some ideas here's some teachings that i know here's this follow these directions and your own authority and whatever but in unhealthy churches okay This is what the leaders have prescribed. This is the path they've walked. This is the things they do. Stay on this path. And if you fall off and you try to go your own way on your own devices, what you think is right, you'll veer off. And I don't know where God is over there. So good luck finding your way. And it's learning. No, 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 no. I can. There's many, many paths to God. That's a big through line is there's many paths and not just that it's possible. It's preferred by God, to find your own path to him and individuality and through your own way, because that's your own faith. That's your own relationship with him. And it's not leeching off of someone else's. And in most cases, in many cases in unhealthy churches, the person you're leeching off of it doesn't always have the best way to go anyway. Right. One thing I really wanted to make clear in this, which I kind of talked about in my book, but since releasing it, I've kind of thought further on it. And it's the idea that Obviously, the Bible says fear not so many times. People say it's 365, but I don't know if that's true or not. But that's just a thing. I don't think it's even true. But it's said many, many times by God, do not be afraid. Fear not. And sometimes we look at fear as, okay, being afraid is the problem. When you're afraid, you're doing something wrong. And I think, no, no, no. The way I interpret it is we're told constantly by God, don't be afraid. Don't fear. He's saying you don't have to be not not don't fear we all experience fear every single day it's human nature when we're afraid we're immediately tempted to deal with it on our own it's okay how can i either solve this fear get over it or find a way to avoid it right and the whole i'm bringing it back around so so the whole thing about god saying you don't have to be it's because no no, no just come to me with it and i'll i'll settle it for you get come to me with your fear and I'll lead you through it. If you're not secure in the fact that that's possible, when you're afraid, you will immediately turn to yourself and try to resolve it on your own. And I feel like for many unhealthy spiritual communities, a lot of the the foundational problems stem from an individual's fear that was left unchecked wasn't taken to God in the faith that it can just be resolved. And then there were structures risen out of that fear from the individual trying to solve it on their own. Right. It it stems from people often that are in positions of authority or influence that are afraid of something in their church or afraid of something in their own lives. And they're trying to figure out how to, how to resolve it. And the thing is about that, it's not sustainable, but in the short term, it may work. They may get out of that fear or convince themselves they've overcome it, but it's through implementing some legalistic practice or structure or unhealthy dynamic into their lives, which is then passed on to their churches and then to their people. I think that, does that kind of ring a bell for you? That kind of feels like it kind of rings true. I'm trying to figure out as as I talk through it a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I feel like kind of the When someone tries to take it into their own hands, it's kind of like their way of trying to, um, and again, whether intentional or not, it's like it kind of brings it into their control And then it, and then you have this controlling environment where, you know, you're supposed to do this, this and that, um, because if you don't, then you're going to do X, Y, and Z, you know, like if you're not reading your Bible enough, um, like one of the first questions that we would get asked, like when we were going through something hard is how's your journaling going? Like if we were having a bad day, it was probably because you didn't journal. But if you journal, it's just an attack of the enemy or something, you know, like, but it was always like, are you, are you journaling enough? Are you praying enough? Um, Are you fasting? Um, Are you speaking in tongues? And, um, but mainly it was like the, the prayer and the journaling and, and again, I, I know like reading your Bible is great, you know, um, but it sh- it shouldn't be forced down your throat um, and it shouldn't be like as much as we try to say that, oh, like it's not to check a box. It totally was.
0: <laughs> you nailed the the bridge I was trying to find in just speaking through it. You said it was the connection between fear and control. I think that's a very big dynamic is. Where does fear come from in an individual's life? It comes from a lack of control over our lives. If we had control over our lives completely, there'd be nothing to be afraid of because we would know and we'd be secure and everything. That's where it comes from is I don't have control of my life. I can't see the future. There's fear there of how things are going to turn out. And when we turn, when someone turns to themselves to try to figure out fear on their own or solve it, I think majorly it comes from implementing or trying to just seize and maintain control of the things they can yep. and that's for in the individual and then that so easily because what once again it works sometimes in the short term if i'm afraid of i don't know an example but if i'm afraid of this certain thing oh just do this and this and this real quick and have these situated here oh great i don't need to worry about that because it's in my control right. in my control works but it doesn't teach you faith It doesn't teach you the opposite of fear. It just subsides the fear. And then it works. So why wouldn't I tell my congregation, oh, just do these things. It'll help you with your fear. Or it'll help you with things that are, you know, attached to fear, have to do with fear. And that's, I think, where a major part of just control, I mean, aside from intentionally trying to take control, you know, that's your motivation. I'm talking about people with maybe good intentions. It, It comes from... This worked because I took control, not because God helped me. I'm saying, no, 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 it was God because these things were done and this Bible verse was used and this practice was done. It was God that helped me. But no, it wasn't. It was you doing these things out of a, a desire for control, which worked for you a little bit. But then on the mass scale, it's just not sustainable and it'll lead to people having no faith in themselves, no faith in God, and trying to just do a lot of things that maintain security. So that, I really appreciate you saying the control, because that, I think, is a big bridge between those two ideas. So so I, I have a another question for you, kind of, as a whole of your church experiences. What has your faith journey, including as at a young age being involved in a church and growing up in the church and then leaving the church and all that stuff, up to now with all that you've learned about your faith and about God and about church and about yourself, what has that taught you about fear?
1: yeah. I think one of the biggest things, like just with everything that's happened um, within those nine, 10 years now, is I've learned that God is so much kinder.
0: God yes. Is so yes. So much
1: more full of grace than I thought. Um, I really, aside from thinking that I could like manipulate God by like trying to speak things into existence, um, yeah. I was really like genuinely afraid of God. I didn't want to make him upset. Um, if I didn't journal enough, then it's like, I would beat myself up. And so I was like really scared. And that's why I think leaving the church was so hard for me because it was like, Oh my gosh, like, am I going to be turning my back on God? And again, not, not ever knowing the reasons that other people left. I just like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And now coming out of there, it's just, it's been so beautiful to understand like just God's love and understand that like he's not mad at me he's not out to terrorize me like if I make a mistake Um, that he really is like such a good father and he's so patient with me like I've had um, my healing journey has has been hard like since leaving there's been like so much trauma that I've had to like just process and work through that like a lot of it is like fear-based the trauma responses of avoidance like I didn't go to the grocery store for almost a year because I was so terrified of seeing someone from my church because I didn't know how I w- how I would react so grocery pickup was my best friend I stayed away from certain roads I stayed away because I knew where people lived I knew where the church was obviously like so I avoided those streets those areas I was very intentional that I would not run into anyone um, if I saw someone's car I would begin to like have like a panic attack and it was just like no. it was really hard and even in those moments where it seems silly or like we're you know some people are like oh just get over it or just pray about it i really believe that god has just been so kind and so patient with me in those moments and even in the moments where i've been angry uh you know i've been angry at god i've been like like when the when the conclusion of the investigation was that it was all a miscommunication um because i really believe that like okay this is our chance like Finally, like they're gonna yeah. ha- gonna be some accountability and to have it kind of be thrown at our face the way that it was. I was like, God, why? None of this makes sense. Why would you have me in this church for nine years just to have them spit me out? And I was confused and just angry. and I and I think even in those moments, I mean, I still really believe that, you know, God was just there waiting. Kindly, lovingly, until yeah, I was able to separate that. Okay, God and these people are not the same. They are not the same. And having the reassurance that God was not happy with the abuse happening. Like He doesn't promote it. He's not like saying, like, yay, like hurt more people. You know, he's
0: right. No, it breaks his heart.
1: Yeah. And it's like one day they're gonna be held accountable, whether in this life or the next. But um, it's really trusting like his sovereignty at that point and just like, okay, God, like you're in control. Like your plans have obviously been way better than mine, <laughs> even though I, I may yeah. not understand it. My plan was to stay there. I was praying yeah. for my husband to come back to the church. I was praying for, for our family to be like reconciled in the church. And I was like, you know, praying for us to stay there. Cause I was, I was obviously wrong. I was wrong. Like I had to repent like before God and be like, God, like, I was teaching false teachings to people. I was leading people away from you and harming them. What I w- it wasn't intentional. I wasn't like malicious about it, but yeah. these teachings weren't healthy and I brought them into this culture that would in the end it's it's going to be painful. And I, you know, I not only like repented before God, but I I apologized to the girls that I was leading and it was it was hard and not everyone like took it well, but Like I did my part and I think just trusting God in in all of this has just reminded me that again, he's just, he's so good. And he's so much better than I ever imagined. And our relationship isn't based on like, oh, like if you give me money, then I'll be extra nice to you, (laughs) you know, the the transactional
0: (laughs) mindset, which, which is our human way of kind of comprehending how it would work. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah. And so it's like, we would give offerings all the time. Like, you know, we would talk about and offering on the stage. We would, you know, faithfully give our 10%. And then some, and that's how we saw God was like, again, like you said, the transactional. And it's like, he's not, he's not like that. He really doesn't care about my money. (laughs) You know, all he wants is our
0: heart. Yep. There you go. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And so it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's been really beautiful to, even though I'm still like unlearning so many things and learning things that there's just like this beauty to God that I didn't understand because I was like, just more like, Hey God, I'm here for my journaling. Here's my money. (laughs) Please be nice to me, please. You know?
0: Yeah. I did these things. I I read this. I prayed this, please just Are we good?
1: Right, and it's like, oh, like if something didn't happen the way that I thought, it's like, oh, it must have been I must have not prayed hard enough, or maybe I should have fasted, or maybe I should have done this, and yeah, it was not good.
0: (laughs) And and that that's it's so common that that's the mindset that is the result of this. It's I should have done this, I should have done this, I should do 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 this this this. Like no no no, God just is like just just be just be with me, just come here and know me and talk to me, and not because you have to, but because you believe that it's worth it to do it because I'll lead you places. And I think, I mean, it's so important, especially when for so long or so many years or how so so much of your life, you're in a place where you're being taught that, or if not, sometimes very often directly, but in some other cases indirectly, it's the idea that God is harsh. Mm -hmm. God is transactional. God is all these different things. And it's, no, 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 he's, Gentle, he's patient, like you said. He's loving. He's not just—he doesn't just accept us. He's overjoyed by us. Like he made us. It's not like we we were left somewhere else and we were dropped into his lap and now he's responsible for us. No, he created us because he wants us. That's the whole thing. And that made me think about—I mean, the whole thing of how many times it says in the Bible, "Don't be afraid." Not—it's not this harsh. You better not be afraid. Don't be afraid because you don't have to be. Don't be afraid. It's no, no. Don't fear, like we got this, I, I'm gentle, I'm patient. Like no matter what track you're on right now, even if it's the exact opposite, like exact 180 degrees opposite of where I hope you can go, I'm still the exact same person and don't be afraid, just turn around and we're good. Come to me, we're good. And it's it's that gentle, it's that loving, it's that kind and it's that patient. I really believe that that is the truest way out of fear. It's knowing that. Because once you once you are completely confident in those attributes of God, then when you're find yourself afraid of something, it is oh just turning to him. Oh look at that. I don't have to be afraid. That's it. I think it's that simple. Yeah. Okay, so so one more question. This podcast and my book all revolve around the idea of crumpled papers, which are any ideas or beliefs we may have at one time believed with with full certainty but have come through our faith journey to realize we may not believe in the same way and may have to reevaluate the way we believe these certain ideas and beliefs or if we believe them at all anymore and in what way so so a question i have for you is what is you give a, a lot of examples already but what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you have had to unlearn or gain a new understanding of?
1: Yeah, Um, I think it's a great question. And I think the most important one that I've had to crumple up, and it was a hard one, was really understanding the simplicity of what the gospel is. And crumpling up what it wasn't. So again, the church was a prosperity gospel word of faith type of church. And so we believe that, um, Jesus, you know, really came to like, give us this new life, like, you know, it's like new life, but we mean like new life now, like money, health and like you know make a church kind of stuff and mm-hmm. so that's what we believe like that's what we're striving for is like to be rich and to um live as long as po- we possibly could and be healthy and like that was like our dream life is like that's what we were wanting and that's what we believed that god had for us like
0: that's the goal is that's the sign of complete faith and complete success in god
1: yes like that was just his will you know we just this is it right because why also, like, why would God want you sick or, or poor or whatever, you know? So we just kind of like despise those sor- sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and so, after leaving i watched the american gospel for the second time actually the first time my husband tried, tried having me watch it while i was still attending the church and i couldn't <laughs> even get I, I could not get 15 minutes in to yeah. the show i was so angry I was like how dare you make fun of joel olstein <laughs> <do you> know? <laughs> like, and like they weren't even like they weren't making fun of him they were just telling the truth about what yeah he was teaching. And I was so offended because I listened to Joel Osteen and like all those types of teachers. And so shut it off, had no interest in watching it. But once I left and I was kind of understanding things a little bit more, I watched it. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, like they described the gospel in a way that I had never heard before. And it wasn't based on my works. It wasn't Mm -hmm. based on how much I gave. It was just that I'm a sinner. I was, you know, guilty. But Jesus died on the cross, rose three days later, so that I could place my faith in him and repent. And then my hope is in heaven. Like it's not on the things of this world that are so they don't last, you know, they're not eternal. And so it's like so much of My life was focused on, like, you know, the hustle culture and hashtag winning, you know, things like that. Where it was like, (laughs) I mean, it's so embarrassing now, but that's what our life revolved around was like being business owners and entrepreneurs and recognizing that, like, God doesn't care about that. Like, that's not what He's saying. But because we weren't taught how to read scriptures correctly and they, taught things like this, um, from the stage or whatever, we cherry picked all these verses to think that prosperity was for us all the time. Like that was it. That was our, our formula is we did yeah. these things and then we would be prosperous. And so I think for me, the the biggest like crumpled paper that I was really glad to finally get rid of was the false gospel that I believed and had been teaching. And so I think that was again, definitely the most important one.
0: No, that's great. And you said at the very beginning, you said the key word there is it's simple. It's we make it so complicated and you go to 10 different denominations, you'll get 10 different complications for it. And it's we in an effort to, I think, also in a way to kind of gain control over it in the most innocent of ways. Sometimes we can end up making the Bible and the gospel so much more complicated than God wants us to actually know it is. It's so simple and it's of love, and then out of that, everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah, and before, honestly, I would- when I used to think about heaven, like I t- I wasn't really excited. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. You know? And it's like, wow, like I I was a Christian and I wasn't I wasn't excited to like Wendy see Jesus and like that's the point, you know, <laughs> yeah, like that, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, but we were so focused on the now and what he could do for us now. And again, it was kind of like using God as like a sugar daddy. Um sure. Yeah. It's <laughs> like it's like, it's hey, so like I'll give you this if you give me this, and it was just again very transactional. And it's like, no, it's like God, it's your will, you know. And it's so much; it takes off so much of that weight um, that we were carrying. Where it's like, okay, like God, you can handle this. I'm gonna trust you, and and I know that even if I make the wrong decision, it's not like impossible to come back from that or whatever. Like you've given me a choice, and you can work it out. And so, yeah, there's that that weight lifted from not being in control.
0: It's less control, but yet somehow more security. Mm-hmm. It's less control over my life, but yet I'm more secure in the things that that I may have felt the need to try to seize control over before, which really a, co- a cool dynamic. Before we end this, I want to, once again, Dulce, your platform is The Honest Messy Life. All one word, correct? Correct. Okay. And, and what platforms can people find you on?
1: And people can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok.
0: Great. So The the Honest Messy Life, great tips, great, not just tips, great stories and life experiences and, and just clearly things that you are learning and have learned and just want to share with people. That's what I get from that. So really great stuff. Go check her out, The Honest Messy Life. Dulce, thank you so much for being here and talking. It was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity.
0: And of course, thank you all for listening. I will see you next week. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers Podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just wanna say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.